been a weird season in my life because there's a lot that's going right that I'm very excited about right now. And then at the same time, there's a lot that within the church and without the church that is really difficult and really dark right now. So it's kind of that tension between the two, but it's got me thinking about the difficulties that we face and how we deal with them. And especially, I've been very interested in the situation in Ukraine. And I don't know, I think at least some of us have been and watching the news a lot, even today, what, 52 days later, and the news is just constant. It's always on the front. It's always on the front. Anytime you look at any news source, it's on the front. And it got me thinking, and this is just kind of all the preface, but it got me thinking, why is this so different than a lot of the conflicts that have preceded it for the past few decades? Like, there's never been just constant frontline day after day um, updates, at least that I remember. And maybe it's because of the media coverage. There's a lot of people with their smartphones, like on the ground. There's a lot of people like videos, and there's live updates every single day. That's part of it. Maybe part of it's the cultural similarity um, that they're generally leaning more towards being a, a westernized nation. We're in a westernized nation, so there's that similarity. But it's actually, partly, it's a bit more than that. Um, Okay. Yeah. 
So the already, not yet. And a lot of my um, preaching, I really like to focus on the already side because I think a lot of times it's been neglected and I think it's such a powerful tool that we have and even for the baptism of our new sister in Christ, Rosanna, ideally we were going to have honeycomb and milk and we just didn't have the look, just to pull it off. But the idea is you put milk and honey on the person because the promised land is now, like you've entered it right now. You've crossed the Jordan through baptism. And so there's this already aspect that is so central to what it means to be in Christ. Even when Jesus says, um, he who believes in me out of his heart shall come living waters. Where are the other rivers of living water? Where are the other places throughout scripture that we see rivers coming out from something? There's two in particular. One is the temple in Ezekiel in the vision. We see this picture of the temple and rivers pouring out of the temple. And then all the way back actually into paradise. Eden itself. It says four rivers are coming out from Eden. And so what Jesus is saying, he who believes in me like, is in paradise. Like, that is paradise. And so there's this beautiful already aspect that we have. But if we lean too much into the already, we actually fall into error. And that's what I'm going to talk about. We're going to talk about the not yet side of our faith. Um, I was listening to 1 Peter, and the entirety of chapter 1 seemed, I think the entirety of the book, but the entirety of chapter 1 really addressed this. And so we're actually going to read through just the whole chapter. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be going through the entirety of 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, and interestingly enough, there's a lot of parable parallels between um, what Peter talks about in this first chapter as well as with 1 John. Like, there's a lot of crossover in themes. And it's cool because those were two of Jesus' closest disciples, little inner group of three. Like, in the case of John, he was literally closer to the heart of Jesus than anyone else he would put his God's bosom. And so I really like reading, like, James, Peter, John, just like these people that really were in Jesus' inner circle. And they're sharing a lot of the same ideas. So, all that being said, we're going to dive into 1 Peter chapter 1 and explore what do we make of the difficulties in life in the grand scheme of the world and also in our personal and social lives in this not yet aspect of our faith. So let's dive in. So first Peter chapter one. Peter, and I'm gonna be stopping relatively frequently and just expositing some and moving on, but that's gonna be the total of this message is first Peter chapter one. So Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims, or exiles, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Let me stop there real quick. And it's in... And again, I'm not going to touch on everything that Peter's going to do. a lot of stuff in 1 Peter 1, so we're just going to be touching on this theme of the not yet aspect. And so, the very address of his letter, the tenor of the entirety of 1 Peter, chapter, uh, the whole book, is to the pilgrims, or to the exiles. And he's hitting a lot of different churches. He's hitting Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia, all these different churches. So it's this broad, like universal letter to the churches, to Christians in general, and what is the title? So think about to the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Boston, Canada, like, we are included in this as the saints of God. 
And he's calling us, he's calling Christians pilgrims. He's calling us, in other translations, exiles. Um, and so the entire tenor of this book is starting out with, this is not our home. And he's making sure that's abundantly clear. Um, <clears throat> that we don't belong here. We're pilgrims sojourning through, but our home is not here. And I'm going to keep emphasizing it over and over because Peter emphasizes it. That we are exiles. We are pilgrims wherever we find ourselves. We can make ourselves home wherever we find ourselves in the world, but only in a lowercase h sense. Like we're not bound to any country, we're not bound to any city, because our true home is somewhere else. And so anywhere we find ourselves in the world, we are not home. We're exiles and pilgrims. That doesn't mean don't plant roots, it doesn't mean don't get involved. We have this beautiful passage in Jeremiah telling the exiles in Babylon. Um, I'm not going to flip there, but um, there's a passage that tells the exiles in Babylon, like, plant gardens, give your daughters to be married, have your sons marry, like, build a life here, but remember, this is not home. And so that's where we find ourselves today. Um, the idea of exiles goes all the way back to the Israelites um, leaving Egypt, and actually being exiles and pilgrims in Egypt, where they weren't supposed to be. It goes to the idea of Passover, and so we just have, depending on your calendar, Easter today or next week, this idea of Passover and God redeeming his people, but bringing them into the wilderness. And this is how he says to eat the Passover in Exodus 12, 11. I'll read it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So that's the directions for how we are to how the Jews were to take Passover and extracting it um, spiritually for Christians. This is how we are to conduct ourselves in the church. That we have one foot here, and we're here in Boston, we're here in Malden, but we also have our cloak tucked into our belt, our sandals on our feet, our staff ready. We're the virgins that are keeping um, the oil going, trimming the wick. That we are ready at a moment's notice, and we're keeping watch. And so that's that tension of being exiles. We're here but we're also not here. Okay, so to the exiles, to the pilgrims. Moving on. <clears throat> Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, so we're going to stop there. And again, I'm hoping that you're starting to see that this chapter is really focused on the not yet aspects of salvation. He says we've been begotten again through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that has already happened, but it's to a living hope. So that's what we have right now. That's the treasure that we get to hold is a hope for something in the future, specifically to salvation, which is ready to be revealed in the last time. So sometime elsewhere besides now. We have an inheritance, and these words are going to be important, incorruptible and undefiled that does not fail. <coughs> but, everyone knows with an inheritance, it's something that's not yet. It's something that's waiting and being stored. But notice that it's perfect. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled not in the slightest, does not fade away in the very slightest. And so what we're waiting for is perfection and nothing else. 
So that's what our hope is, is an inheritance that is perfect. Um, reserved in heaven, already for us, but waiting to be revealed for salvation at a future time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, let's see. Yeah, so undefiled, imperishable. And this is in contrast to a lot of the hopes that we start to build up on earth, at least if you're similar to myself. Like, I start to build up a lot of hopes as to how life is going to work, and a lot of plans, a lot of aspirations, and hope actually is the right word. Like, I really hope that certain things work out, and oftentimes those things aren't undefiled. They are slight, they are less than perfect. Oftentimes those things have a, a tendency to fade away. Like Solomon had a lot of these hopes and visions, and as soon as he seemed to grab them, they were like vapor. And so the hopes that we prepare for ourselves aren't lasting, and the hope that God has prepared for us that we are to fixate on is permanent and lasting forever. Um, okay, so I think that's, yeah, our salvation will be revealed. So. Okay, so moving on to verses 6 through 12. In this, you greatly rejoice. So, in this salvation that is waiting to be revealed is what you are greatly rejoicing in. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was, <clears throat> excuse me, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So we're going to stop um, right there. So, where are we? We have... We see here, we have our hope laid up in heaven, and then what happens in the meantime? We have trials, grievous trials, trials that grieve us and trouble us and make us distraught. And what is the purpose of them? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Christ. And we actually see something similar in 1 John. Um, I'll read the verse real quick. John writes that, Beloved, we know we are God's children, already, we are God's children, and what we will be, not yet, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. So this perfection, this imperishable inheritance. We shall be like him, perfect, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so in 1 John we see ourselves doing the purifying. Like, if you have this hope to have the inheritance of Christ and have the perfection of Christ, if you have that hope, you purify yourself, you take it upon yourself, 
In 1 Peter, we see a bit of a different angle. We see that things happen to us, that we're passive in that situation. Things happen that grieve us, these various trials, but the end result is the same, that we are purified, that we are tested. And so on the one hand, we do it to ourselves, we put our body into submission, we discipline ourselves, we purify ourselves, looking forward to perfection. And on the other hand, the trials of this world, the trials that come to us, are those things that also work to purify us, waiting for that salvation. Um, okay, so I'm going to go to verse 13 now. There's a lot in there that I'm not touching, I'm just touching on this not yet aspect. I'm going to go to 13, and it starts off with a huge word anytime you see in an epistle, therefore. And so that's like very important. Whenever you're reading the epistles and you see the therefore, especially, yeah, there's usually like this giant lead up in like X and Y and because of all of these things and amazing things, therefore, this is what ought to happen. And so, very important word. So we're going to dive into the therefore. Okay. So, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we're just going to pause there. So think of all of these things, the salvation that is to be revealed, the hope and the imperishable inheritance of Jesus Christ himself, and perfection itself, waiting to be revealed. Therefore, because of that, we are to, there's three things, gird up the loins of your minds to pretty much prepare for action. Prepare for action. Um, prepare for difficulty. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought you. So we're going to look at those three in turn. So one is prepare your minds for action and prepare them for difficulty. Whenever you gird up the loins in the scripture, it's either to go off to war or to work. And so Paul, Peter is saying that mindset of the difficulty of work or the difficulty of war that's what we ought to do. Because we have this beautiful vision on the horizon, we are, I unfortunately wasn't at the Citywide on Friday, but I heard it was about spiritual warfare, and it's true, like, we are at war. So gird up the loins of your minds. Prepare for action and prepare for difficulty. Because until that final day, all of our, all of our joys here on earth are going to be mixed. There's never going to be completeness. There's never going to be perfection. Um, Peter's telling us, until that final revelation of Jesus Christ. And so there's a hymn that says, All of our joy is touched with pain, shadows fall on brightest hours, and thorns remain. I'll read that again. All our joy is touched with pain, shadows fall on brightest hours, and thorns remain. And then the hymnist actually concludes by saying, I thank you for this, that earth's bliss may be our guide and not our chain. So I thank you that all our joy is touched with pain, shadows fall on brightest hours and thorns remain, that earth's bliss may be our guide and not our chain. But the idea that things are going to be difficult, and so when various trials come, when things that are confusing and things that are difficult and things that are sad or frustrating or all of these trials come, the scripture's completely overwhelmingly unanimous in saying that this is not irregular. Um, that this is going to happen, that we should prepare for that, and we should be ready. So that's one. Number two, <clears throat> be sober. It seems, what does this have to do with um, all of this conversation? Um, and I think the idea is that we are to be sober in spirit, because the very next um, 
point is that we are to rest our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Christ Jesus. And so, oftentimes, when we don't rest our hopes fully on that revelation coming in the future, on Jesus Christ, if we start to let other hopes come into our lives and other things, I don't know, maybe things that we identify with or things that we're like super excited about, none of those things are bad, but when those start to encroach on the place that our hope is supposed to be set fully, 100% on Jesus Christ, then we start to lose our sobriety and spirit. We start to be swept away by things that aren't permanent, swept away by things that aren't lasting. Um, yeah, to fix our hope completely, 100% on the revelation of Jesus Christ that is to come. So we're always looking forward to that. <clears throat> and to do otherwise is to start to lose our sobriety. When I start to let these other things creep in and these other these passions or these joys or these hopes or these dreams and these aspirations to the degree that they start to take away from my hope resting fully in Jesus Christ, I start to lose that sobriety of spirit that Peter is talking about and I start to be swept away. Um, so, and why is that? <clears throat> why is it that we have to rest our hope fully on the revelation of Jesus Christ? And it goes back to that idea of our inheritance being undefiled, incorruptible, that our inheritance is perfection itself. And when we start to put our identity and put our vote, so to say, put our personhood with anything that's less than perfect, we're starting to compromise and we're going down a bad path. And so when we have these hopes that this is going to solve my problems or this is going to solve the world's problems, when it's not perfection itself, we're going down a bad path. And Jesus actually warns against this. He says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the very elect. And so when we find these people, or find these systems, or find these ideas that become Messiah, become Christ, that's the thing that's going to save me. Like, all of this other stuff is great, but we finally found the key. This is what we've been waiting for. This is going to fix the whole world. Those ideas are going to come. Those people are going to come, and they're going to do amazing things. They're going to do great signs and great wonders. And lead astray, if possible, even the very elect, because it's less than perfection. And that's what Christ has called us to, and that's what we're waiting for. And so, I don't know, in our personal life, it might be a teacher that has a new philosophy or a new idea, and it's like, okay, that's the thing, that's the missing key that we've been waiting for as the church or as my personal self, or even, I don't know, the whole world systems as a whole, like Western liberal democracy, <coughs> that's the salvation of the world. If we start to put our hope in that and like the way the world has been and like, okay, this is, this is our safety, it's a bad way to be. Even if there's great signs and great wonders, it's a compromise from perfection <coughs> itself. Um, and so when we place our hope in the way that the world is, we failed the apostolic command to set our hope fully in Jesus. So all of these things that might come into our lives, there's only one Messiah. There's no other solution in Jesus Christ that we're waiting for. And then John actually is saying the same thing. He's saying many antichrists have already come. There are people that deny Jesus came in the flesh, that there's some other salvation to be had. Those were John's definition of antichrist. Is like, oh yeah, there's salvation. We're going to have all these amazing things. 
And it's this idea or this way of being or something else besides Jesus Christ in the flesh who's going to return. And Peter is using his... He's old, he only wrote two epistles, and he's using a lot of his time to really emphasize this, like, wait for Jesus himself. If you detach salvation from the person of Jesus, if you detach baptism from the person of Jesus, if you detach any part of our Christian faith from the person of Jesus, we're falling away. And so keep Jesus central, who he is, and knowing that he's coming back. Jesus, throughout his ministry himself, was saying, keep watch, keep watch, keep watch, be ready. Okay, so... All of that for verse 13. So we're going to move move on. Um, verses 14 through 21. So, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. We're going to return to this idea of being holy and holiness as a response to the difficulties of the world. So be holy because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So again, he's returning to that idea of exile language during your stay here, like, it's almost like a hotel, like, Dur during your stay, do X, Y, and Z, this is not a permanent home. Also the idea of aimless conduct, that our fathers or mothers or ancestors who didn't have Christ, like, they were groping in the world, I think Paul says, groping in darkness, and it's just an aimlessness. And now that we have revelation, we can walk with an aim, and with a direction and a purpose. But that's beside the point. Um, so, verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Um, okay, verse 22 through 25. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another, fervently, with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So, we're going to stop there real quick. So, all of, everything leading up to this point in the chapter is saying, this is the reality, that we're really leaning into the not yet aspect of salvation. There's an already aspect, but Peter's really leaning into the not yet. He's saying there's a salvation waiting to be revealed. There's something perfect waiting. Do not compromise. Don't fall away. Keep that in your sights. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Fix your hope fully on Jesus Christ. And now he's moving to a bit of a different emphasis in like, okay, how are we supposed to act beyond that? And he says, since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently, with a pure heart. And I was reading through several commentators, and the um, prepositions here are a nightmare. Um, if you want since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, it's, there's a lot of confusion as to what's going on, but it's very clear that sincere love of the brethren is intrinsically tied with purification, 
with obedience, and with truth. That all of these three are mingling together. <coughs> Purification, obedience, and truth here are tied with a sincere love of the brethren. Um, and this is really significant because oftentimes there's a dichotomy between purification and love, or especially holiness and love. It's like, okay, there's the love aspect, but then there's the holiness aspect, and people like to split those apart, and that's a really, really bad thing to do, and it's a really, really unscriptural thing to do. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13, I'm going to read this real quick. It's turning into one of my favorite passages in scriptures. Um, Paul writes, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love, to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so I'll read that again. May, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love towards one another and to all, just as we do to you. And why should he make us abound in love towards one another? So that he may establish our hearts blameless in holiness. So, um, if you're interested in holiness, Paul is saying you're interested in love, that they're very tied together. To be blameless in holiness is to be abounding in love for one another, sincere love for one another. And so when we go back to Peter talking about be ye holy and conduct your time in holiness, be ye holy for the Lord says, I am holy. That there's a lot of aspects to that, but a huge one is a sincere love of the brethren. And so... Um, the sincere love of the brethren should be okay, so that's all of the given since this has happened, and then it's also the result since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through sincere love of the brethren love one another fervently with a pure heart and so we see this dual thing of like since you guys have practiced obedience and truth and purification through love because you've done that, love one another fervently so it's a it's a dual thing, like he's emphasizing and driving it home, and John is going to drive it home even more throughout his um, um, epistle and his gospel about love. And that's probably the core of the New Testament in terms of like practical teaching. It's through Peter, it's through John, it's through Paul. Paul is saying, like, if you have all of these things and have not love, you have literally nothing. If you have all knowledge, if you offer your body to be burned, if you give away all things but have not love, it profits nothing. And out of faith and hope and love, love is the only thing that remains. Moving to the next verse, he's tying all of this idea of love of the brethren to being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Um, so he's tying love, just like Paul does, with something that is incorruptible and imperishable. Um, and John echoes this language. He says, the whole world is passing away, all of the lust of the flesh, the desire. The world, that, as we know, it, is passing away, but the evidence of God's imperishable seed inside us is practicing righteousness and loving our brother. And so love is tied as that one aspect of the already that we have access to right now. Everything else is passing away. Everything else is fraught with difficulty. But we have access to one thing that's not passing away. And it's the thing associated with obedience, purification. It's associated with um, truth through the Spirit. And it's sincere love of the brethren. So, really wanting to drive home that in our personal lives, in our lives, in the church. That this is 
this is critical. Um, <clears throat> and that it's not split from holiness. There's not two separate aspects. There's not, okay, we've got to focus on holiness, now we focus on love. We, no, they're tied together very intrinsically. Um, and sharing some earlier in Agape, but this means that everything we do, everything that we do on this earth during our stay, during our exile, however you want to say it, everything we devote our lives to, whether it's philosophy or industry or business, theology, history, laboring, whatever it's, whatever we do is important in as much as it supports actions of love and sincere love one to another. That there's not a more important aspect of life that's like, okay, I'm going to put away like loving one another because I don't have time because I'm doing this more important thing. That proper theology and proper philosophy is pointing to proper doctrine, which is to love one another. That proper business and proper industry and labor is pointing to being able to provide and also able to build a society where people have the resources and time and access to support one another, to support love for one another. All that to say is that your interactions with the people around you are the most important thing. And you can't just be 24-7 on call forever and all the time. You have to do things. You have to work in this world. But put it in its proper place. That it's in service of something else. And it's in service of others, just like Christ was in service to us. Um, he probably had more important things, I mean, quote-unquote, more important things to do. He's upholding the entire universe through his word. And he condescends to us to serve us. Um, and so everything passes away, Paul tells us, but love remains. And so when our life is being interrupted, it's our chance to be able to show love. Okay. And then Peter says this, just to finish up the chapter, he says, all of this love of the brethren, imperishable seed of the word, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And we see that the word of the Lord here, we've been born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible, <coughs> through the word of the love, through the word of the Lord producing love in us. He says, now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Okay, so that's the end of the chapter. So all of that, just for two big takeaways. Um, one, in the face of destabilization in the whole grand scheme of the world, or destabilization in our family life, or destabilization in our church life, or our personal life, in the face of uncertainty, destabilization, suffering, confusion, sadness, un all of those things, know that it's not unexpected. It's not unexpected. And Peter's telling us, in the midst of all those things, don't lose sight, and not only don't lose sight, but fix your hope fully on what is to come. I feel like a partner sermon to this needs to be the already aspect, because that's what gets us through the day-to-day. -day. But if we tend too much towards the already, we start to get confused and distraught and despaired over the things that are falling short of perfection, that we still live in a fallen world that's being redeemed, but it's not perfection. Peter's saying, do not compromise for anything less than perfection. So set your hope fully on that. So, um, don't cling to any hope, to any other hope, except the hope in Christ that is to be revealed. So, there's actually 
a passage. Um, let's see if I can find it. If you go back to verse 4 and 5, there's an important close to this, but saying we have the inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away and reserved um, in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's this relationship between our hope and our self, our hope and faith in this salvation to be revealed and God keeping us, protecting us. And that when we start to set our hopes elsewhere, we start to lose that grace and we start to lose that um, protection. So all that to say, there's a not yet aspect, that we're not there yet. And we can be excited that we will be there and we get to rejoice and we get to praise God and that's gonna give us grace to get through the day. But there's perfection waiting, and when we compromise for anything else, it's it's a really dangerous road to go. So that's one. And then two, if you want to know how to act in a world that's broken and passing away, focus on the things that don't pass away. So if you want to know how to act in a world that's broken and passing away, focus on the things that don't pass away. And Paul tells us that love remains. So the imperishable seed by which a Christian is born is manifested by righteousness and love. And those two aren't um, separate from each other. Holiness and love are not separate from each other. So if you want to know how to act in this world in the midst of confusion and difficulty and frustration and even temptations towards despair, focus on things that aren't passing away. Because that's a picture it's an image, it's a grace that God gives us that we get to see what's coming. These acts of love. And it says God is love, and in the end, God will be all in all. And so when we love one another, when we go out of our way, when we sacrifice like Jesus sacrificed, albeit in way smaller ways towards one another, we get to see a picture of what life is going to be like on the other side. We get to see a picture of what salvation is going to be once it's fully revealed. And so that's the climax of our life here, is those moments that we get to do that and everything else is serving that and so life is going to be difficult we are going to be grieved by various trials and in the midst of that be sober fix your hope fully 100 percent on the grace that's to be revealed at the last time and love one another love each other love each other fervently and sincerely so that's first peter